your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right. Happy Monday, everybody. It's over. It's over. Next Monday, it'll be dark out right now, won't it? Are we doing that next week? I think we're doing the uh, the whole change the clocks. My least favorite time of the year when we change the clocks and leave the studio in pitch blackness. Not really sure why we do that. We should change the clocks the other way. But we can do that in a week. We can do that whole show in a week. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Uh, coming up on the show, Al Bliss is going to join me. He's the coordinator with Alliance to Heal, essentially dealing with drugs and drug overdoses here in the county. And I'll let him explain it. And then maybe that'll, that'll help kind of better shape the conversation. But um, just have uh, have some stats about drug overdoses and suicides, not that Al's, Al's not really the, the, the one to deal with suicides with Alliance to Heal. They're more uh, along the drugs and t- unless they interconnect. But um, we're at 28 overdoses as of late last week. And uh, last year we set a, 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 we had the most ever, I was going to say set a record. But I don't like calling it a record because it's weird when it's drug overdoses. We should save the records for uh, things like when cross-country teams in the area, Alaska, win state. And uh, um, But anyway, so we had 28 overdoses this year, overdose deaths, and 40 were last year, which was a record. Um, we could talk to Al about you know why that's happening and what to do about it, how that's going, all that jazz, right? Uh, and so some conversations about, you know, Narcan and, and its effectiveness. They had a whole thing on this a couple months ago at uh, the Cooley Recovery Center. It was pretty interesting to listen to. Um, and, you know, it's good, good to get an update. I haven't had, I don't think I've had Al on my show before either. Um, and then this year we're at 23 suicides uh, so far. Last year, I believe we set the record according to, to uh, the county at 26 suicides. That was the most ever and you can you can easily kind of figure out what's going on here, right? And hopefully we, I mean, there's two months to go in a year, and we're at 23 suicides. What's interesting too is you don't always hear about these. So we've we've had this conversation before where we we focus so much on COVID and COVID deaths and and all that's fair, but maybe we should also, I think we could do we could chew gum and walk. I can't, but most people. Some people can chew gum and walk at the same time, right? We could talk about overdose deaths. We could talk about suicides. We could talk about COVID deaths and maybe how those are all intertwined at this point, especially when we're seeing um, these these all-time highs in these categories. Um, but we pay so much attention to one thing and not the other. And why is that? I don't know if we'll talk, about, talk to Al about that. <laughs> it's more like, that's more talk show stuff, but... but uh, Al can definitely, Al Bliss can definitely, you know, give us an update on where the county is at with, you know, handling the drug situation. I think fentanyl is a big, still a big problem. I think just a, an ongoing and growing problem in probably the the whole country, if not the world. Uh, but we see it's just so potent and uh, people can handle it. 608-785-7914. Okay, beyond that. You know, beyond that conversation, uh, the Judiciary and Administration Committee meeting is tomorrow. And I did send a text out 
to to Chris Chris Woodard. He's a city council member, and he's gonna he's gonna talk to us about that at the bottom half of the hour. So the JNA meeting is tomorrow. That's one of the big county meetings or county city city of Lacrosse city council meetings. That one's tomorrow night. There's also a big school board meeting tonight. Uh, the city plan commission meeting probably wrapped up by now. That was today. It began at four. So this is committee week. So these are the uh, the big committees, the JNA one tomorrow, and then the finance and personnel committee meeting on Thursday at 6 p.m. And we can get into that one in a couple of days. One meeting at a time. Take it one day at a time, 110%, all that jazz. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right, I want to get out of here and let Brad do the news so I can get back to uh, to it, so I can get Al Bliss on here sooner so we have more time with him. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk in text line or the text line at this point. I've got Al Bliss. He's the coordinator with Alliance to Heal. He's the he's on with me right now. Al, how are you doing? Uh, doing great, Rick. Thanks for calling. Um, making you uh, making you work a little overtime today, just a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, no so I, I was talking uh, before bringing you on here a little bit about uh, your 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 field, and I, it's, I I told the audience I'm like, yeah, we'll we'll probably let Al kind of describe what Alliance to Heal is and what you guys do with the county and the Lacrosse Community Foundation and other entities to to obviously deal with the drug situation. I don't know. I guess you'll put it better than I can. Sure. Well, the Alliance to Heal is really. Um an opioid issue when it first originated about three years ago. And we wanted to do one big thing in the community and, and do it well and address the overdoses. And, of course, we were seeing the heroin, fentanyl, and other prescription opioid overdoses increasing dramatically. And so we really have four funding partners, both healthcare systems, uh, the La Crosse Community Foundation, and La Crosse County got together and spearheaded this uh, project it really rejuvenated from the old heroin task force back from like 2014, and so with that, what we really wanted to do was to look at the healthcare side of things because we were seeing a lot of prescription opioids um, that were being abused and causing overdoses and then fatal overdoses. And we've done quite things, quite a few things well, like as far as the prescription side, I know both healthcare systems had agreed to look at the uh, recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control on opioid prescribing. You know, they would look at the benefits versus the risks. They would um, have Narcan made available. They would um, really uh, look at changing their prescribing practices to reduce access to opioids where they might be easily abused. And since then now, we have restructured a little bit where we're adding substance use to address substance use. So not just opioids, but, you know, pretty much all drugs and to look at the the whole person and looking at, you know, what type of uh, services that they need. And so with that, too, we've also added a new um, prevention component with youth, and we want to help especially with the uh, areas of uh, marijuana and alcohol that are, you know, usually markers for other people um, to use, especially youth. But later on, what we've discovered in 
our uh, overdoses, overdose deaths, is that over 50 percent, it's probably really not a surprise, had, you know, high uh, substance use early on, especially with alcohol and, and marijuana. And so that's really um, helped us, you know, gather probably five different focus groups now. Um, we, we did have 10, which was quite a bit to, to manage and, and to conquer. And we've accomplished, um, the healthcare systems really did a great job. They've accomplished uh, prescribing less opioids when, when they really weren't needed. In fact, it was over a 30% decrease from like 2017 to, you know, 2020. Is, can you can you explain that a little bit? Like opioids are what, and then is this like like uh, can we just point to like Brett Favre being hooked on drugs like that? Is that kind of a good example of of what the problem was? Well, you know, when we're talking opioids, there's the the synthetic uh, ones. When we're talking about basically the prescription opioids, and then you know we're talking about you know heroin itself and the illicit the illicit. Uh, uh, fentanyl that's available too, so or the heroin or the, the opiates. Okay, and so so there's a little bit of difference there, and you know one of the things that we're noticing is that individuals now that are dying from drug overdoses by far have the heroin and the, the fentanyl that are present, and it's much less of the prescription opioids. So when you think of prescription. Opioids, you might think of uh, tramadol, uh, oxycotton, you know, hydrocodone, just to name a few. Yeah, and that's and that's why I pointed to Brett Favre back in the day. It's almost too old of a reference now, but Brett Favre used to be hooked on painkillers, and and uh, you know, it's just kind of like a, a one way to kind of understand the problem is is somebody you know has surgery for something or, or has pain, they get uh, hooked yeah. on these things, and then and then they don't they no longer have the prescription, right? And then the problem persists, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's why they're trying to look at, you know, short-term use for acute pain or post, uh, you know, surgery where they're given them for a short period of time. They're not given 30 days supply, 90 days supply of opioids. Um, by that time, there's a good chance that um, they've developed the, you know, addiction and, and you know, tolerance to that as well. It doesn't mean that everybody, you know, would do that. But this has changed now for over a number of years, and it's really, it's really improved. Where typically for acute pain, um, you know, you're probably only getting, you know, maybe three to five days worth of, of you know, of a low dose opioid. That's the other thing is they want to try to keep that down to a certain amount, and they usually go by an equivalent called morphine milligram equivalents and try to keep that down less than fifty. MMEs and morphine milligram equivalents per day. And I think the healthcare systems have really, you know, achieved that. The other marker thing that happened that was a huge accomplishment is what they've done on the Epic software um, is it's the software for electronic patient records is indicated if they um, are receiving a certain amount of opioids over that 50 and they have uh, other maybe medications that they're using that could include sedatives, other drugs, that they could have available the, you know, the Narcan available to have the, for the drug reversal. And so that's, that's really been a huge shift. But what we're seeing is we're still seeing, um, you know, people getting addicted from the fentanyl that's being brought in. And it, every time that somebody uses heroin, 
Um, it's, it's, it's common for the fentanyl to be laced with that heroin. So every, every use is a risk. Yeah, when you and we're speaking with Court, uh, Al Bliss, the coordinator with Alliance to Heal here in La Crosse County. And when you when you talk about the the, the healthcare systems kind of reining in their use of you know their prescriptions of opioids, they've 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 kind of com- combated that problem so that people don't probably don't get hooked on it as easily. They don't have it as long. They probably can't sell it to other people. Uh, did you expect to see uh, some of the problems that persist there go down, or have they gone down, or did we see the problems kind of transfer to now you're talking like fentanyl and stuff like that? Well, I think it's transferred from the prescription drug. We've really seen a reduction of prescription drugs that are being present when someone dies of a drug overdose. I mean, out of last year's 40, I think there was only two or three, uh, which is still too many, but two or three individuals that had prescription opioids. Um, the others would have had, you know, a lethal dose of heroin, fentanyl, methamphetamine, of course, uh, polysubstance use. Um, some of those are all combined, meaning polysubstance use, and then alcohol included. And so the combination of, of uh, those drugs has really um, skyrocketed. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about the Narcan use. That's the other thing is that we distribute Narcan to uh, all law enforcement um, EMS systems, as well as tri-state, uh, emergency room departments, uh, even some of the counseling places, St. Clair, and really um, blanket the community with Narcan that can reverse an opioid overdose. You know, one of the things we also did was to look at targeting high-risk people. Gunderson has what they call a street team that deals with the homeless uh, folks that are down at Huska Park. And so we had brought down some Narcan available to them and had about 40 individuals that listened and that were willing. And then um, Gunderson distributed the Narcan to those individuals. And so I'd like to think that that's helped or we'd see even higher numbers of fatal overdoses. When, when you say that only, you know, last year we had a, a record number, right? 40 overdose deaths was the record. I don't know what the second is. It, do you know what the second highest number was, Al? Of overdose uh, I believe deaths? it's around 29. Okay, because we're that at 20, would have been, and we're at 28 yep. already this year. I don't know if already, but um, so, and you say only two or three of those had to do with prescriptions. Now, I, you you talked to me about this earlier today. the The number of people that die from overdose. This isn't an intentional thing. This is a is it is it when when somebody overdoses and or dies from overdose or just overdoses. Is it because something's laced in the drugs, or is it because they they just didn't do something correctly? Does that make sense? I guess I'm not I'm not a drug aficionado, though. Sure, sure. So, yeah, typically the problem is when somebody is using heroin or fentanyl, they're at risk for an overdose any at any time. You know, we really don't know the amount of fentanyl that could be present in there, um, how much they're you know injecting. Um, or smoking. So, you know, there's a lot of variables, plus the fact of the condition, uh, health conditions, any chronic diseases, heart disease, uh, other things that might be uh, a factor for the individual, too. Obviously, if there's alcohol use, other drug use that is combined with that, um, we're just not seeing the prescription drugs that are being present in, in many of the individuals that do die from a fatal drug overdose. But, Rick, I do have to tell you that we have seen a slight increase these past couple of quarters in this year in hospitalizations and emergency room visits for uh, opioid 
overdose or poisoning, not where they, they die, but there was an overdose. And so there's, there's something else happening there. It could be that more people are getting Narcan and more individuals are recognizing signs and symptoms of an overdose. We just had an overdose awareness day at the end of August. Not that that was the event that made, you know, sweeping changes from a one-day event, but I think, you know, just the general awareness that the Alliance to Heal has um, contributed to this community. Uh, we'd still do the drug take-back days. We just had one October 23rd and collected over 200 pounds, and that's just pill weight. And some of these did include, you know, the pain medications and the opioids. And so, you know, any anything that we can do to reduce those risks and increase the awareness, encourage people to, you know, to get help. Is there a, weir- a weird stigma with Narcan and that, uh, you know, I think some people that I, I don't know how to put how to categorize these people, but they just assume we don't use Narcan on somebody that's overdosing and, and let them, let them suffer. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's obviously not a good way to go about this, but there seems to be a stigma. Hey, why are you giving Narcan out to all these people that are, you know, it's, it's their fault. They're in this position. I don't know. Can can you talk to that a little bit? Talk about that a little bit. Sure. You know, I think there's, there's two kind of paths here. One is where um, we're looking at the individual who's using uh, to help them, we're not judging them. The idea here is to save a life. So that's, you know, healthcare uh, includes other first responders and uh, so forth, mental health professionals, substance abuse counselors. So they're looking at, you know, preserving, saving the individual. Um, that's their main concern. And we realize that, you know, recovery, you know, and addiction takes time to work through, get treatment, appropriate treatment. Um, get through recovery, that relapse is likely. And so then there's the other path where, you know, I think there's, we we have not measured that stigma. So is there? I'm certainly hearing it. Uh, I'm hearing that some individuals may voice that, well, it's it's their choice, so so let them die and, and so forth. And everybody has the right to their own opinion. But I think, you know, our, our community has changed in that respect where law enforcement now, um, the La Crosse Police Department, one of many that carry Narcan, had changed that a couple of years ago where they were only carrying it for their law enforcement officers for safety if they came in contact with, you know, powders such as fentanyl or, you know, heroin and were unsure. And now they carry it actually to provide to the individual. So I think even... Um, Law enforcement, not that they, you know, years ago didn't uh, care about individuals, but I think they, that their vision has changed where they're there to assist people and to keep people alive as well. And, and the goal isn't to um, judge and to stigmatize them. You know, there's some yeah. programs that, there's some programs too that even have uh, where law enforcement uh, we'll refer them to uh, treatment. There's a program called Next Steps for Change. It's not our program, but that is one that kind of stemmed out of the area here and where law enforcement can make referrals uh, to treatment. They can make uh, referrals to get connected with a peer recovery coach, you know, to have an individual who's who's been through it, you know, somebody who's been addicted to pain medications or to heroin. Yeah, and help make those connections. So I think you see, you know, those two paths, and hopefully that's that narrowing 
we're rather than um, widening in our community. But I do, I do think that is there still stigma out there in the in the world where professionals are treating individuals and counseling? I'm sure that there is, you know, some of that, and that's something that um, learning the language of addiction or recovery, you know, is important and. Um, again, the main goal is to, you know, save a life here, keep, keep someone alive, um, and not to have that judgment, and, you know, until they can get, uh, you know, help and treatment. Yeah, that's crazy to me to think that, that at one point in time, uh, law enforcement had Narcan only to use on themselves. So if they, if they encountered somebody overdosing, they wouldn't use Narcan. I don't know. If they, do you think that happened? That seems weird. Yeah, you know, whether or not that happens, um, I don't know, but I, I can tell you that now. Um, I believe this year just the La Crosse Police Department, I think, dispensed nearly 40 uh, Narcan doses towards individual, to nearly 40 individuals who were overdosing. And so, you know, you're looking at um, them assisting and saving lives. And so uh, I... You know, I see the the stigma uh, and just the response and that in, improving. You know, among uh, pro- both professionals and in people in general in the community. Uh, we're speaking with Al Bliss. He's the coordinator for Alliance to Heal. And uh, Al, we we probably could keep going, but I'm running out of time here. I and, you know, I just it, and it seems like we're, we're are we making just last thing? Are we making progress with? You know, just just getting bringing overdoses down and and kind of uh, getting people off uh, off well, of drugs. Well, I think we're we're seeing less fatal overdoses. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what the total is yet this year. I'd like to think that we'll still be below, hopefully, well below the forty. But um, you know, there's things that the alliance has done, such as created a navigator uh, position where that individual can help someone who needs help, like if today's the day, they can connect them to the different services so that there's not this lapse in time and and transition from, you know, one service to another. And so that individual just got hired, and we're just starting that with the support team. And so these support team members are from the different uh, treatment centers and, and the providers, and it's really to help problem solve with looking at how can we move this person more quickly getting into um, the appropriate treatment that they need? Yeah, and I always hear that uh, a lot of people that are addicted, uh, if they aren't willing to get treatment, then they're not going to get better. So the, the forcing well, of that, too, is, is a weird way to go about it. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. There is something called, you know, Chapter 51, where they put a hold on an individual. I think it's for up to 72 hours, and and doing that, but I don't think that our community likes to likes to do it that way. And I think, um, you know, basically, there's still a lot of work to do, like increase the sober living and housing here in this community, uh, helping individuals seek meaningful employment, um, working with high risk individuals and populations more. In fact, these are some of the new groups that are being formed and that are going to be. Uh, starting as a result of some of our planning that we just did in October. All right, Al, I uh, ran out of time. We went way over, but I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. 
Yeah, no problem. All right, thank you, Rick. Yep, yeah, have a good night. You too. All right, that was Al Bliss, the coordinator for Alliance to Heal. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris Woodard, city council member, about uh, going from uh, talking about a, a homeless. It looks like a, like a homeless uh, apartment complex that might go up. It's on the Judiciary and Administration Committee meeting tomorrow. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. If you want to text, feel free to text me. Chris Woodard's on with me right now. He's a he's a rookie city council member. How's it going, Chris? It's going great. Uh, could be warmer, but I guess that's what we have to do here in the fall. Yeah, November first, we flipped the we flipped the temperature and uh, we flipped the, the calendar, the temperature, and then in a week we flipped the clocks, and then it's dark at like four thirty in the afternoon. Um, <laughs> yep. If uh, if the city of Lacrosse city council wants to address that at all, maybe move the clocks back. Start a maybe. A, I think we probably have to do that on a grander scope, though. Um, yeah. All right, the, the JNA committee is tomorrow, and I, I talked to the audience earlier today about how these are kind of the important times to get involved in city government, the committee meetings, right? Because tomorrow, or next week, Thursday, when the council goes to uh, its meeting, things are things could change, but you kind of already have uh, have it, what in mind what, what the council is going to vote yes or no on, right? That's correct, yeah. The best time to speak would be, you know, at these uh, JNA meetings or F&T, um, or even the ones prior to that, you know, city plan commission and so on. Right. And, and it might be, it, the, the, and there's a lot of them, how, you know, you, you get into the city council and you kind of know, you, obviously you, you, uh, you run for the position and you, you know, what's going on in the, in the, in the cities with these agendas, but how, how tough has it been to just kind of get up to speed on all, all the things that go on within city government? Oh, it's it's been a learning curve, that's for sure. Um, I'm I'm catching up, but I'm not quite there. But I, I'm sure in the next couple months I will be, you know, where where we should be. Uh, I think we could probably say that about most of us rookie uh, council persons. Uh, you know, we're still catching up. Yeah, every month is is like a new. It's almost like a another a, another month of practice, so to speak. Uh, you just kind of get a little little bit better each month as you do the the same thing over and over. It's always different, but the committees are always the same, and and you know what goes in front of the committee is is a little different. Um, okay, so looking at the J and A budget and J and A and F and P, those are the two big committee meetings. I think that that you know the the two of the bigger committees that we should pay attention to when it comes to city lacrosse. Uh, when you look at that agenda, can you? Can you just point to maybe some of the more and maybe you're look if you're not looking at it, I'm looking at it, and I can point to some of them. But do you know some of the more important things going on in tomorrow's meeting? Uh, yeah, one of the big things that's going to be going on is the um, rezoning of the properties on Fourth Street between uh, Fourth or between Jackson and Mississippi. Um, those are properties that were um, acquired and then are going to be used for the purpose of building a larger um, apartment complex in that neighborhood or in that block area. Um, a company called Sonair is proposing to build 65 units on the 1100 block of 4th Street. Uh, 52 of those are going to be affordable units with, I think, about 17 set aside for the homeless population and then about 35 uh, lower to middle income and then 13 of those will be market rate units now scenario they won there was a bidding process here right and they won that bid that's correct there was uh three other companies that bid bid on this project 
um, well, had proposals on the project, um, and those all came in front of the, you know, the two committees, and then it was approved. Uh, that scenario was the the one that we that we had picked. Now they want to uh, do. They want to tear down some. Do they want to tear down anything to to build these apartment complexes? Uh, yes. So it looks like, if I'm counting this right, it looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, about 12 different addresses that are going to be um, torn down. Now these addresses, some of them look like they might be uh, multifamily units. Some of them may be single-family units. Um, and when you say that, there's, are they just blighted houses? They're just kind of run-down homes that the city acquired? Um, yeah, I would say some of them are blighted. Uh, you know, it's it's hit or miss, but most of them were in that blighted kind of description. All right. And are we already through that process where the, we've acquired these properties, they're going to get torn down, and we're just trying to rezone the area so we can build an apartment complex? That's correct. Okay. Did we go? Is it a little backwards? Should we have maybe rezoned? No, I guess not. That seems like the, the appropriate way to go about it. Um, I was going to say maybe maybe uh, maybe rezone it and then acquire the properties. But if you don't acquire the properties, then it wouldn't be worth rezoning. Um, right. And you know, I, I guess this project. Can you just talk about the project itself? Like what Sinair wants to do, and and it looks like it's going to. It, it, it probably won't be done by uh, by winter because winter is upon us apparently already. <laughs> yeah. So uh, looks like next year, 2022, I believe, um, Sinair is going to apply for some. Uh, some grants that are going to be kind of coupled together with other grants to put this $15.8 million project into uh, into motion. Um, so 2023, I believe, believe, is going to be, you're going to start seeing things happening at that site. And this is, uh, partly, you talked about it, so there's going to be, what, did you say 17 of these apartments will be used to house homeless families, I'm guessing? Um, I don't know if it's going to be uh, individuals or families. Um, that wasn't really made clear. I'm sure we'll get some more clarification here as the process moves forward. Uh, how are you feeling about this project in itself in, in terms of uh, where we're at? Does this likely get approved? Uh, yeah, I, I think that it will get approved. Um, I like I like what I'm seeing here with Sinair. Um, you know, like, it's, like you said, it was kind of a blighted area in to have this there is going to be just a great addition to the neighborhood and welcoming more families, you know, my, more diversity into the area. Um, and I'm actually very impressed with uh, how well Sinair is working with the neighbors and both neighborhood associations. Uh, you know, they, they really want to hear our input and are taking that to heart. What is different about this project? Because a lot of times, Chris, we see on these committees and in the council, I call it the like get off my lawn mentality. The idea that we want to rezone something in the middle of a, a neighborhood to put up an apartment complex or, or even with Bethany Homes to build another uh, uh, four-story building. And it's just like, um, no, we don't want that because we're this is our neighborhood and it's it's single family homes. And, and you're we don't we don't want more people here in an apartment complex. Um, you know, I think it really comes down to, uh, you know, there's some obviously misconceptions out there about things going on. Um, and then secondly, it's it's the way that people are approached. Um, I feel that, you know, some of these projects could, maybe could have gone better if from the beginning the people had 
the people proposing the projects reached out to the neighbors around and really got their input rather than, you know, plopping down this box and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then through the process, they say, oh, maybe we should listen to them. All right. We're speaking with Chris Woodard. He's a city council member, District 9, the Washburn neighborhood, the Paul Pogue, Hamilton neighborhood. Um, any other real top billings on the uh, the JNA committee tomorrow? Um, yeah, like you mentioned here, look, uh, we got the Bethany Lutheran Homes uh, project coming up again. It looks like the City Plan Commission put that off for a month again. So that seems like what yeah. you're going to do. If they did it, are you going to do the same thing? That seems like the way things happen here. Uh, typically, yeah, that's how it happens. Um, unless some new new things come up within the next day, I would assume that would probably be, re- be referred again. On, on these things on the agenda, what's your PDF record? How many PDFs have you had to download on any one item? Is it like 52? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it was like up to like 50-some or something the last time we were looking at, gosh, what was it? I think it was the 11th and King Project, but there was quite, quite a few uh, letters and stuff. Yeah, it gets to uh, is, is your do you did you invest in a printer when you became a city council member so you could print all these things off, or are you a guy that can do this all on the computer with like seventy five different tabs? Uh, I have actually mostly done it on the computer. There's uh, certain things that I'll print off, but I, I don't like to print off a whole lot of things that I'm really not going to look at more than once. You know, Doug Happel's got like every every PDF printed off, right? <laughs> you know, he's well, done. that is that's. You know, his decision, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not going to do that. These old guys, they're printing all this stuff off. Brad Williams in the newsroom, <laughs> he's printing all this stuff off. He tapes it to the wall, and then I go in there and snag it from him. But I'm looking at it at the computer. Hey, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thank you. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. All right, that was Chris Woodard, City Council Member, District 9. Uh, all right, we got to take one more break. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. A couple minutes left here. Thanks a lot to Al Bliss with Alliance to Heal and to Chris Woodard, the city council member there in District 9. Is it 9? Yeah, District 9. Get out of here, Buster Rock. Um, I got my Facebook set up to get some notifications from certain entities around the area, and I did get this one just now. Uh, Campbell Police Department alternate side parking taking effect today, 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. So people in Campbell alternate side parking. City of Lacrosse doesn't really. It wouldn't go. This alternate side parking doesn't start till November 15th, and even then, it doesn't actually start until I believe it's two inches of snow. I think it was two inches. I should have looked it up. It just reminded me, like, oh yeah, and. I thought on Alaska. I thought I saw a notification from the Onalaska Police Department too, or City of Onalaska, that they were doing their alternate side parking was starting up as well. But now I don't see that, and I tried to look it up quick, but I couldn't because I only had like a minute. Um, I did. I did do frequently asked questions, but hey, just just there it is. Alternate. When does alternate side parking take effect? There we go. Between one a.m. and eight a.m. But they don't have a date. Oh, here it is. November. November 15th. All right. So you got two weeks yet for those of you in Onalaska. And then alternate side parking will start there. But City of Campbell, man, City Council and City Campbell, get get ahead of the time. You got to get with the times here. 
you got to get the November. You got to get the alternate side parking to start at November fifteenth. How long before we have alternate side parking beginning on, say, December thirtieth or something like that? Because it doesn't seem to really snow all that much until mid December, late December. I feel like Santa Claus barely has enough snow to get onto the. Does he even really need snow though? He just lands on roofs of houses. Does he actually need a sled? Kind of a misconception that Santa Claus needs a sled, isn't it? All right, that's all the time I got. Tomorrow, Tim Grinke, the Lacrosse County District Attorney, is going to join us, and we're going to talk about a bunch of things, including the the Citizens Oversight Board on police, where we're at with that. And then I just wanted to talk to him about how some communities in, and I believe most of them are in Minnesota that I that I read. I don't, I'm not reading date news from beyond Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin, really, but just the idea that police aren't pulling people over for for petty things like a, a headlight out or something like that. All right, thanks for listening.